Thanks again for listening to the Codex West at Night podcast. This is part two. So what do you think about, like, what do you think are, like, the limits and the... Um, I think, so I'm, I, the podcast that I'm writing right now, the Cooking with Codex podcast, which I, I will hopefully be releasing tomorrow or, like, Friday at the latest, um, it, like, I came into the podcast with the, the sort of, like, clear intent of, I want to help people, um, maybe, like, uh, make, make their, make it easier for them to, like, prepare Thanksgiving or, or maybe, like, you know, think critically about, like, why they're cooking a Thanksgiving dinner, like, what what the importance of the the thanksgiving ritual is to them and it's sort of like you know it spiraled into like yeah i want to discuss all those things but i want to talk about my personal relationship with thanksgiving and like the food that i cooked for you guys on saturday and you know like little interviews with my family it's the the thing about podcasting that i really really enjoy is that you know maybe maybe i I don't know how enjoyable it is for the listeners but i have so much fun just talking about the things that we want to talk about and um because of the, the sort of freeform nature like it, it gets me thinking about other things and and how they relate inherently to what we're talking about like today with this this podcast like we could we could have gone into so many different directions about about justice about you know like economical ideologies about acting um and and all of those things interrelate with other parts of my life like things that things that are in my life every single day that i think about and that i like am actively a participant in so the great thing about podcasting is um you get to sort of expose people to your own personal stream of consciousness and maybe that's like selfish but uh, i don't know if it's it's vain it's It's at least like a little bit there's like a certain amount of vanity that's required to think that people are interested in like the way that you think but well, I don't, I don't know. know. There's like a different logic when you sit down to write something versus like like conversational logic. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I guess if you're cynical, you could think that's vain. But I think um, I listen to podcasts and I don't come in with the expectation that it's vain. When I listen to people speak, I come in with like, that's you true. Know. Yeah. But I also respond to different podcasts like, you know, like um <laughs> like what I like about podcasts is it really like puts into place the um the importance of conversation and that like you know like I'm I don't get I'm not gonna like be able to be friends with everybody that I would be friends with right and of course and and friendship is like defined like primarily by the conversations we have and like the way that we exchange and the chemistry of that exchange um, there's no reason why that exchange has to be limited to, or like why I have to respond to exchanges that are limited to the people I get to meet, especially in this digital age where like I can like respond to conversations with people that I would be friends with if I were in the position to be friends with them, like in a, with everybody. Sure. Yeah. Um, and you know, like, we don't actually, like, most of our lives are not conducted in ways in which we, like, you know, most of our lives are not conducted where, like, we're responding to each other with video essays or just, like, regular writing or music or any kind of art. It's generally conversations. Um, so the fact that, and even, like, um, you know, like, I don't know, sometimes I think about, you know, like, dating services you know like where like um or just any kind of like e-messaging where 
or like reddit or something where like people Mm -hmm. are talking to each other through text so they're already like able to speak to each other with a kind of like compositional compositional mediation that is unnatural but that's not like in our evolution our evolutionary behavior tends towards like you know like communication where um you have no body language in text there's no like uh understand like facial expression or or well, like yeah, voice. It's but so even hard just to at even at the tone. level of like like the way that we like negotiate words when we're speaking to each other, as opposed to like yeah. typing to each other, is like yeah. more central to our behaviors evolutionarily than they are um, when we it's like the only way when that we I flame each other like, on Reddit or something. Yeah. You know I mean? like, the only way I ever feel like text is like an adequate form of of communication is with somebody that you know intimately and who like deliberately takes care to text the way like you text the way you talk you you personally whereas like when i talk to my dad like he's this like wacky like he'll just like your dad's impenetrable every possible yeah. but when he texts <laughs> me knows what he's, he's literally incomprehensible yeah it's, it's like, incomprehensible it, just, it makes no sense i love my dad so much but when he texts me it's it's rare that I understand what he's saying. <laughs> oh, totally. But like, if he was talking to me, I'd be like, that "Oh, about, I get it. You're just making." It's a funny you say that about joke. me, though, because like, I feel like when, so, this isn't, I, I, this is me saying like what the benefits are of podcasting, because like I do think there is a value to like listen to people speaking like on the fly, um, because that's how we're used to like interaction. Yeah. Um. But I also think there's, like, I think when people get really technophobic about, like, texting and, like, oh, we're removing face-to-face conversation, I am I get a little, like, okay, whatever. Because I sometimes I connect with people more when I'm, like, allowed, like, a compositional moment. Mm-hmm. D- does that make sense? Like, where it's, like, okay, totally, like, yeah. I can... And I know... Because you, you get to, like, uh, you revise your thoughts is the, is the nice thing. Like, when I'm... When I'm texting somebody like on Tinder, it's not the same way that like I speak in a or I text, I, I type in a way that is like um, somewhat representative of the way that I speak. But because I get to refine my thoughts before I send the message, I get to be even more unambiguous. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Something I've kind of noticed in my life is like the more I've been writing and the more I've been like trying to speak in a, like a podcast setting, which means that like. People, like, when I listen to podcasts, the only person I've ever really heard, like, speak about the ethics of podcasting or, like, the um, the impulses or, like, the – there's, like, when you're podcasting, you want to be your best self even though you are speaking conversationally. And so it means, yeah. like, you're constantly trying to find the best way of saying something where it's, like, in a conversation, you don't have that kind of pressure. Like – uh, I, I don't know. I think I definitely have that impulse. When I do. Like, I do have that impulse. But like what I'm saying is like after podcasting, like my regular life conversations have like taken on a like more like when I talk to people in real life now, after having started podcasting, I'm like way more particular about the vocabulary I use. And like, OK, and sometimes it I'm like, I recognize that it feels unnatural. Huh. And. <laughs> and I real like I you know I'll be like you know like um if we're talking about movies I want to use my movie jargon right yeah um and before I podcasted I would talk to people about movies it would never be so intense like I would just be like oh yeah I really liked it blah 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 I would like maybe give like one observation yeah, but yeah. I was really holding the effect of the movie to myself and my own thoughts 
Um, now, okay. I, I recognize, like, last, like, during our Thanksgiving, I started watching white material, and, like, people would come down, and I realized, they would be like, what are you watching? And I just went into these, like, rhapsodies of, like, oh, it's, like, you know, this, like, movie about, you know, I would just, like, use my best terminology that I could muster to explain these movies, whereas, like, I know before I started podcasting, if someone walked, like, I've had people walk in on, like, you know, me, like, being my the cinephilic self that I am, and, like, I would just be like, oh, it's just a movie I'm watching. But, like, in these you know, scenarios, I was, like, totally, like, employing my best terminologies, really right. trying to, like, bring into, you know, I wonder tangible if essence what I was doing. And I don't know if that's exhausting to people. I'm sure it's exhausting. Well, the thing is, no one I don't know if that's, that. like, explicitly an effect of podcasting so much as it is, like, you, me, and Mark all deeply care about what the... Uh, the others have to say <laughs> so like when you're constantly exposed to people that like really truly give a shit others. about what you have to say yeah <laughs> sorry sorry <laughs> yeah cl- like clearly you give a shit about what i have to say so. <laughs> <laughs> but when you when you're around people that like um that give you the sort of affirmation that they really actually care about what you have to say i'm sure that influences especially somebody that's like as emotionally attuned as you are um that, that that's going to influence that that flavors your interactions with other people because like your inherent expectation becomes oh this person is going to care what i have to say so i'm not sure if i'm convinced that that has to do so much with like podcasting because i don't i don't think my person the way that i speak to people has changed because i speak to other people so infrequently that like uh i it's it's I, I almost feel like i'm forcing them to give a shit about what i have to say because i just don't say things very often i get that so it doesn't like uh, it doesn't influence the way that I speak to others because I'm used to being very selective about how I talk and to whom I speak to. Well, okay, so the whole reason, okay, so I, I basically I don't want to <laughs> I didn't start the podcast. It's just I had the like inclination for us to all make this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, the entire point of it came from like when I was in. So about a year ago, I guess, or a year ago, I was in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. and I was super involved in politics. I I guess I am still involved really in politics, but like the election season was crazy, and I was like fucking in the weeds when it came to um, politics. And so everyone wanted to like, you know, everyone I knew in San Francisco, they just like had like, you know, they just wanted to get my opinion on things. Yeah. And it was the first time I realized where, like, me speaking out was not vain. It was, like, me just trying to offer the best I had. Yeah, totally. Which is, you know, it's like vanity would, like, be something like, I know better than most people. That's not what the impulse was. It was, like, um, maybe your perspective like, is, like, valuable to people in a way. And that, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know it, if it is. It's almost, like, ethical to share it. Ex- I, no, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it's I not, it's not, there's not. I have the same impulse. Yeah, so it wasn't I, that, like, I had the presumption that I knew better. It was just that, like, no. you know, it's ethical to, like, speak your mind. Um, and I, I, I was always kind of taught to listen, not speak. And I, I still agree that's, like, the proper stance in most cases. But this was one where I was like, okay, like, people are asking me questions. And why am I holding back? Like, it's probably better if I just speak out as long as I don't have the presumption that I'm right, just that I'm, like, giving my opinions. Um, Then from there, I realized that, like, podcasting wasn't a vain activity. It was just one where it was, like, you're adding your voice. 
Um, and if people want to listen, they will listen. If they don't, they don't. It's difficult with marketing because apparently, you know, it's like our World of Warcraft episode that was so much better just came about because you were adamant about getting people to listen to it. Um, and it's difficult to really know like what the effect of that was it, like, like numerically it's great, you know, but I don't know like where, what the effect was. It's yeah. Like, Cause it's yeah. not like a, um, you know, it's something that was like impactful to my personal life, but like it was, uh, I mean, it's not really like making people think about the, it, it was the farthest reaching episode, I think for probably all the wrong reasons, which maybe not the wrong reasons. I don't think it's, it's a like wrong reason. No, I, I it's, it's like a historical know. account, yeah. but it's not like a, um, I'm not making anybody like question anything. It's just a, uh, it was really I don't know. I think, I think expository episode, than anything else. Well, I think your part was expository, like in the beginning, but I think we did have like good conversations about like why a company would want to do this thing. And it makes mm -hmm. you really like consider the motivations for any action. I don't think it was not like, that's not the point I was making. It was more like, I guess the point I was trying to make is that like, that was like a huge spike in listenership. Yeah. Um, but that was specifically because of uh, like, our like meager marketing, like we actually marketed in some way, whereas we usually don't. Um, and like, I get really caught up in like, cause I'm also a musician, like I make music that podcast has gotten more views than all the music I've released this year, which is like absurd to me because I like, I spent so much time making music, but I'm just like, like not, a, I, I really feel like the integrity of the music is good, but I don't market it. I don't mm -hmm. know how to. And it it's, gets, it's it hard. Gets, yeah. It gets me really down on like, um, I, what it is is like you see like celebrities and you see like the people that like are like major influences in society and you critique them mercilessly because they suck. They just like, it's not good. But then also you realize they have a lot of currency. They have a lot of, you know, like inspirational capital because they're able to be marketed so well. So like Godard also like uh, thinks about this a lot. Like this is like a major French filmmaker who's also fucking decimated by the division between the making of a product and its distribution. Um, and it's something that like I take spiritual kinship with like this like you can make a beautiful thing but not market it in a way and it, it won't catch on and you can make an ugly thing and be a perfect marketer and it like it, it for whatever reason like takes a kind of power that it ought not to have um, I guess like I want to relate this to podcasting because it's you know like people want to like contribute their voices and i mm -hmm. think like in a lot of cases the people who aren't obsessed with marketing probably have better opinions maybe not yeah, better <laughs> you know what i mean it's like if sure, you're yeah. if you know we only have so much attention we can give to any topic um and the if the attention that you're like obsessing over is like how to like make it relatable make most people listen to your topic yeah it's probably not the best thing but also you know there, there are people who break through i think of like a uh you know like a paul thomas anderson right mm -hmm. a director who like is making like incredibly difficult films that res that people respond to and like at least a way where like it always wins some sort of award or some sort of like you know like social prize 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, at some level you're confused if, like, that's because of, like, some luck or some sort of, like, div- divination. Yeah, it's it's really... I, I've never really thought about his movies that way, but it it's, like, and now it's impossible not to. Because it, how do you, like, uh, as a director who's, like, releasing movies that are, you know, distributed to every movie theater, like, there will be blood. How does the, the demand for that, how do you ascertain that that movie is, like, um, sellable in, in a way where... Because it's clearly not designed to be a commercial film. So, right. like, but, but commerce is so intimately and inextricably linked with filmmaking that it's impossible not to think about that. So how do you have a movie that's as artistically pure as There Will Be Blood that makes the black? It feels like there has to be a luck element to it, but, like, you're right. People responded to that movie in a way that it's so hard to understand. Or, like, even a movie like Mother. Um, the movie, certainly, like, Aronofsky and all of his movies have their faults. You know, he's he's got oh this, like, God. obsession they- with obsession. But, well, I think his movies, his problem, they're just overwrought. They're just like... Sure, yeah. They're they're so fucking... Oh, God. It's not that they're obvious. But I don't think any of them but, were commercial failures, even with their, like... Uh, I think even Mother Even was. though they even had... Oh, really? Well, I don't, I, I mean, I, even, I don't want to... Yeah. Sure, but, but it had a budget. You know, it had to, like... A, these are all movies that have, like... Productions, like, production and distribution have had... Or have, haven't been a problem for these movies, at least to the best of my knowledge. Like they've been picked up by major studios, people are like willing to fund, uh, yeah, well, these movies for their directorial vision, which is something that's different than I think most movies that we see. And I don't know if that's maybe well know, that's indicative of the direction that the film is headed in. If that's well, I'll film, let you say your film piece, is like, I know a lot less about this than you do. Well, yeah, I think um, I know I made this point when we were in Tampa that like Darren Aronofsky is like a a, uh, a a B film director, a great B film director who has been yeah. like misconstrued as a like visionary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, like no, <laughs> literally, go back through any of his movies. They're all they're all like campy, trashy shit. They're, My God, have you seen some, Pie? I actually haven't. Pie is the it's, only one of his movies. I've seen every other movie of his. I haven't seen Pie. Dude, it um, is the absolute. But like, you know, I didn't like. I don't. Yeah, I don't like. I, I my. But it is lauded as one. Yeah, I, I guess I never had a, like a uh, impulse to see Pi because I knew it was like it like in a student film period. I do yeah. think The Wrestler um, is his only great movie. It's his best movie by far. Yeah. Oh, it's best, and I think it's a great movie um, because he. It was his. It was his most honest like um, interaction with himself in that like he is not like a. Fellini or a Scorsese that he thinks mm-hmm. he is. He's like a fucking like um he wants to explore he wants to like interact with cinematic traditions that are like lesser. And yeah, yeah. But yeah. he doesn't know that in a lot of ways. But like the wrestler, I feel like he really understood like what he needed to do was like write scenes that were emotionally palpable and um really, you know, explore what's great like when i say b directors i am not saying that they're lesser directors what i'm saying is that that's they don't have the kind of like artistic restraint that is characteristic of a directors 
that doesn't mean they're worse. It just means that the topics that they're interested in, the psychologies they're interested in, are going to be more like, you know, sen- sentimentalistic or like um, campier or whatever. But yeah. like, as I mean, long as you. In, in yeah, and raw. Yeah, as long as you're like capable of like. Um, you know, like a John Waters, for instance, to me has always been a great director because he's so fucking self-aware. Like a um, oh god, who's the guy who did Life After Wartime or Life During um, Wartime? T- uh, Todd Salons. Yeah, Todd Salons. I, to me, oh my god, I love Todd Salons. Yeah, dude, thank you for getting. Yeah, Todd Salons is like um to me the perfect b director because he knows what he's doing he is yeah, so self-aware 100%. of his limitate of, of his generic lim- limitations um but he explores them in the most fucking like oh characteristic like um oh his movies yeah. are like emotionally savage too but they're, they're also savage, like they have like a like a sort of tim and eric like surreal absurdist sensibility too it's the completely like wartime and happiness are happy like, yeah these are my great. god those yeah. are, so those I, are movies me, those are some of my the, favorite movies he's a prototypical b director um yeah in, in terms of like the modern workers of that genre aronofsky to me does not realize that he like aronofsky could be so like on a separate level from Todd Salons, but he will not realize that he is interested right. in genres or cinematic c- categories. That yeah, are... Mother did not like embrace its its like no. B movie qualities even in the slide. It wanted to be like this piece of like Art Nouveau that it it just wanted to be yeah be it wanted to be so super obvious. serious it wanted to be super serious but it was like how 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 are you like how do you make it, a movie about like global warming that is yeah isn't, how do you employ yeah. the, the fucking <laughs> that isn't the most obvious fucking thing possible the, yeah I think like um like the CGI I think that movie, in that like, movie was like just good enough to not be shitty enough to be a beat you know like i, know, I mean i, don't I thought know. it was i thought the movie was gorgeous but like no, that this, was no, like, the best thing i can say about so, it so um oh god mother is a whole fucking topic dude i'm glad we're gonna I, I actually i honestly really liked the movie like i think that uh no man, it, like, it was a bad it, movie. Uh, it, it expo- <laughs> the disagree. things that it makes you think about the like it's it's a great movie mm. in the sense that it's like uh, unintentionally everything great. it says is because retarded, it's so it's but... so not self-aware that uh all of the like themes that it's trying to explore are like uh they they sort of like expose a part of yourself that's interested in like understanding why the movie is bad and then it's i guess this nah, is like man, the, the quivillian yeah. approach to <laughs> to to like finding greatness in in the shittiest of things but uh i mean i like the movie you a wanna, lot because you want to rescue like, it from its shittiness and i like i like my critical stance is you don't do that you just like like that's not a good movie like on okay. its face like on the in on completely on the grounds of authorial intent mother is garbage but no. like the things that it made me think about were it was thought provoking in all of the ways that it probably didn't ever intend to be. No, I think it was. Well, okay. I mean, I can't. I can't. That's criticize, just my personal. I can't. I can't criticize movie, so your you own yeah. mind. Yeah. No, yeah. Totally. That's right. You can't. You can't. But I think with mother, what was um. So, mother is. It was sold as a chamber play of like you know like psychological like artistic issues, right? And then yeah. It the minute that you realize that it is going to be a retelling of like biblical like biblical right. narrative is like the that's the minute that you lose yourself in terms of its conceit. 
Like that, that's a, like the minute that any movie is becomes a fucking allegory, and it become it becomes a pure allegory in that like everything that's that's being told to you is irrelevant because, or it's not irrelevant, but it's useless. Like on its, its face it's because like it needs been to been explored it, infinite times. Not even that. It's more like which I agree, but like it's that nothing is useful because it's all a fucking allegory. It's all representative. Um sure. that's when this is good material for a B movie because it's so campy. Like campiness yeah. and and campiness is supposed to be something where like the characteristic of campiness is that like the things that you are seeing are ridiculous, right? Um, you can like characterize campiness in other ways, but for me, like one of the primary attributes of it is that campiness is um, the things you're seeing are like exaggerated for a purpose, right? Right, right. Um, but that purpose is essential at that point. Like if you watch a really campy movie, like oh god, like <laughs> this is like a very modern campy movie, but I would say like. Um, walk hard is very campy yes yeah yeah, yeah. um it's not it's campy Ooh, what but a it, good example. yeah it's brilliantly campy because it's so obviously satirical and it's it, and it's obvious satirization it becomes campy yeah um but like the campiness itself is a critique against things like walk the line um yeah mother under, just has yeah. none of that self-awareness yeah it's like it's cinematic like campiness is like in my mind cinematic campiness should ought to be refined towards either like you know a, a, a critique against cinema itself yeah um, and because and there are parts of walk hard where you can walk yeah. into the movie and w- yeah, without the understanding a, that it's a satire and like be confused by and it. and even though the way like i'm not here the uh the todd haynes film about bob dylan is also yeah. campy in that sense because what it's doing it's deconstructing musical biopics um they both are like campy in the sense that um they're 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 it, they're obvious existent the their existence is obviously like a cheesy attack against um films that are not as self-aware and i like walk the line but these films are better because they like they understand the genre in a way like their 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 mere existence is like <laughs> understand like is a conception of the genre that like these films that like enter themselves and their tropes that they enter as well don't reflect on and these films are like obsessed with the reflection and like watching a movie is an obsession of reflection um so that's why campiness can be good and b movies can be sublime but mother just like it fails as like a campy self-reflection of the chamber psychosexual hitchcockian um exercise mm-hmm. does that make sense like i don't know yeah, like, no, maybe no, that's no. like wild no it completely but, makes sense it's, all yeah. of the things that like mother made me think about are were had to do with like uh like the selfishness of the artist and like uh after having watched it watched listen up philip last night that movie was like all of the things that mother made me think about uh, in regards to that subject were just like way more deftly considered in listen up philip. Philip. yeah because there's a, there are definitely movies that have just captured what what mother made me think about in ways that are way more efficient way cleverer and way way more self-aware so yeah i get i mean at the end of the day obviously you're right mother's not a great movie it's just like the the at the time because i hadn't been 
exposed to other movies that um, like made me consider the things that Mother made me consider, it seemed maybe more revolutionary than it really ever could have ever come close to being. Yeah, I think like that's the effect of Aronofsky though is like he has like, <laughs> the shallow self reflection. Yeah, like he like you know like. He Requiem for a Dream, I'm sure, like well, has probably love... made like certain addicts feel a, a specific way about that movie, and then like I'm sure if you watch that movie now, you'd be like, well, "This isn't right at all." <laughs> well, no, I actually think um, I will defend Requiem for a Dream. It's it's so student made in its way, um, but I think there's what is it like? It's it has a rhythm. Yeah, there's a rhythm that works in that movie, and it's like, it's it's complete. Like, okay, so Requiem for a Dream is not like some like triple A movie, right? No, no. It is like it, it is like when I saw it the first time when I was like at NYU, uh, like my screenwriting program. Um, I remember seeing it and just being like, "Oh wow, this is a metaphor for." the ways in which we consider like the ways in which we think that addiction can be rendered like it mm. was like it was it was it was a critique in a way of the the way you know like you see like panic at needle park or something al pacino like play like these are movies where like heroin addicts are being represented in their most realistic ways but like what is cinematic realism Right, like that—that that ought to be critiqued because we should critique any form of cinematic realism because it's almost oxymoronic. And this film, like, clearly took aspects of um, what we considered, like, you know, mad, you know, like neorealism, like Italian neorealism, or you know, American neorealism, and it turned it on its head. But it had the only way you can do that is to like degrade yourself cinematically and be like, okay. Um, <laughs> like we're gonna have to use like tropes from like psycho paranoic films like like Hitchcock um, or Fellini and like really make you know like obviously like critique the like neorealism itself and like what like how addiction is rendered in neorealistic terms mm -hmm. um, and that's but that is a campy critique and that's not again that's not me like arguing against like the you know the purpose like the the oh god what what's the word it, it's not me arguing against like the benefits of like thinking and campy terms it's like that's just like what makes it great and that's what made um requiem for a dream great requiem for a dream <laughs> <laughs> but does that make sense is that, that like the fact that like okay you're going to like cinema it's just like any other fucking like battlefield, right? Like they're gonna be like people who disagree with you, who agree with you. They're gonna be yeah. all sorts of perspectives, and those perspective perspectives, like are you know the coalitions are like you know really referred to as genres, and they battle each other. And um, it's important yeah. for like campy like B films to like really critique like what we consider like really artistic reserved films. Um, and like at the time that like Requiem for a Dream was made, like really re neo realism was like had currency, and so this was a film that was you know its rhythms were fucking shocking, its images were fucking shocking, and they were a way of like 
you know, saying that um, the 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 movements of addiction are not being represented correctly, or that it's not it's not for near realism to say that um, those movements are being represented in like the most authentic ways because cinema is not authentic; it's inauthentic. But really, yeah, you, you think cinema? cinema I think cinema is like the most authentic. I think cinema informs like, art is not authentic though. Like the like when we say that like art is authentic, it's like a like a misconstrual of our terms. Like, um, what makes art? So like A.O. Scott, I just saw this movie uh, Lady Bird. I'm gonna see it again on tomorrow, but. Um, Lady Bird, like A.O. Scott wrote about Lady Bird that like, you know, life, we don't get to watch people grow in one hour and a half. But like that was one of right. the benefits of Lady Bird is like we get to, in like boyhood is like the most dramatic example of watching somebody grow. But in some ways, I feel like cinema informs human behavior in a way no other art previously has. That's not what I'm saying. That's not the point. Like, what I think, yes, like cinema, like we need to study cinema because its effects are like fucking major. Yeah, movies are major in how we consider our own selves. But like a competent viewer will realize that like um, cinematic portrayal is very different from like like how like what it is portraying. Does that make sense? Where I, like, I, I agree with you that in from view will will see that but i also think that an informed viewer will adopt certain behaviors that they've seen and so let's take um uh about the souffle um breathless yeah the the care the main character in that movie is obsessed with humphrey bogart and i think i mean it's i i don't know a lot about movies that were being made at that time but it's very potent to me that one of the most important movies ever made is about someone who's obsessed with a character who's it who's whose actions are informed completely by their obsession with a character, right? I think that that yeah. says a lot about about how movies, uh, how how much more, movies to me are the most important art that we have today. Well, yeah, M- I think, um, so I don't know if it's because they're so tied to commerciality, but it's because they, they a moving image that it, that is capturing the way that people behave, the way that people interact with each other in real life, even if it is an inherently unreal reflection of that, is always going to have a more impactful effect than a still image, a painting, a, a photograph. Because your emotional impact by yeah. when you when you encounter one of those images or or a photograph is it's temp it's so temporary i mean that impression might stay with you but it doesn't you know when i see nah, man. I don't a beautiful painting with... it doesn't it doesn't in- inform my behavior in a real way it may make me moody for a few hours or it may make me you know reconsider the no. way that i think about a certain thing but it isn't making me act differently does that make sense yeah totally my obsession with cinema it has to do with the fact that i think it's the most powerful medium yeah for sure um but I also think it's the most powerful medium because it can correct itself or can critique itself as like a whole, right? And sure, like yeah. all arts have this ability, like you know, um, <laughs> even if you look at music, like like Alward Yankovic, like that's what he does. Like he critiques like American Pie or like you know Eminem or Nirvana. Um, that's like the most crude example I can give, but, <laughs> but bring that back into like what I'm talking about Aronofsky, where like 
just because he doesn't realize what he's doing maybe with um requiem for dream there's a way that we like viewed him as some sort of visionary when really what he was doing was like accidentally critiquing the common culture <laughs> yeah does sure. that you know what i mean no, like, I, I, I buy know, that like, completely um and so with mother like you can totally like the fountain for instance was a movie i loved in high school because i didn't understand what i'm saying right now um it was so overwrought it was so obsessed with itself and um its own genius which it actually didn't possess (laughs) and uh Something like back Black Swan is completely Hitchcockian in that it's like only like concerned with its psychosexuality mm. and its campiness. Um, Noah to me is his most interesting film, particularly because he this is where he starts introducing biblical the aspects. Biblical, yeah. And uh, like obviously this happens in Mother too, but what I like about Noah is that it, it's like um, explicitly a it's, Bible story. Yeah, because it's not allegorized. Like, right, it's right, not right. made symbolically. Um, Mother is so symbolic. When you introduce symbolism in a cinema, you're, like, you're using a device that has been historically used masterfully. Or, like, its best uses have been used in ways that are very reserved or restrained. Which Mother is is not even close to Mother's an ex- Yeah, it's Mother like is, like, an ex- Completely unreserved. It, it's an explosion yeah. of symbolism without any sense of like <laughs> knowing where the explosion is happening or its effects or anything. But right, like, what it's I like about catastrophe, it, yeah, it's catastrophic, right? Whereas Noah, um, it, it's trying. It's like it's it's told with the pretense of like you know, it's told with a cinematic pretense that is like think about movies like. Um, like uh, the Passion of the Christ, for instance, right? Where it's like, okay, like things are happening within the context of what the Bible allows, right? But we're going to still use, like Mel Gibson's aesthetic is like torture. Mm-hmm. And it's like with like bodily abuse. And like, that's not really explored so much in the Bible, so much as hinted at. Right, And right, so right. what made that movie good and I like the Passion of the Christ, even if it's fucking cheesy. What I like about it is that um, it really explores like bodily abuse, and that's an aesthetic. Um, and what I liked about Noah is it explores like the mysticism of the Old Testament. With, yeah. Like, um, and then it also explores like the moral ambiguity of Christianity itself. Um, yeah, it's interesting to me that like the Kabbalah is condemned by Jews, but like the Old Testament is like uh, it's it's it doesn't have the record. same level of <laughs> condemnation that I mean I guess the Kabbalah is also like not canonical, but um, like Christianity generally accepts uh, like Noah's Ark as being like historically accurate. I think, or at least, you know, like, I guess there's, like, a sort of reformed sensibility that may disagree with that, but, like, I think that most Christians would agree with that, that statement, that, that the story of Noah actually happened. Yeah, I think historicity is a really interesting topic for cinema. Especially when you're talking about the Bible. Yeah, so I've been really interested in, like, the historicity of, like, Christ, or it was in college. Mm Mm-hmm. And so um, when I watch Noah, um, 
it was like you know like what we we're talking about with neorealism like when you like the there's a you believe that like you put a camera to something that's the reality but like there's always a perspective like the camera's perspective will always be different from the human's perspective in history and historicity is built by human perspectives and like the camera's perspective even though it's like enacted by humans is going to be necessarily different from a human's perspective even though humans enacted it right um this is what makes any kind of like historicalization um cinematically interesting right so like you know even if you have like um uh the you know the temptations of christ like scorsese like that's always going to be interesting because like you know like scorsese's super cinematic like his like entire way of thinking artistically or in in, that means something like his entire way of thinking humanistically has something inextricably linked with cinema Mm -hmm. um and so like this is somebody who's not like a like undevout christian like this is someone who's like clearly interested in christianity but he wants to reckon it with his like religious sentiments sentimentality with cinema yeah, right? yeah like cinema something what like when i walked into the theater today when we watched three billboards again it was like i was very acutely aware of like the religiosity of like going to the cinema like it felt like going to church like i'm gonna sit down and solemnly interact with the homily that is being directed at me which is like not a speech or a like set of rituals it's like a fucking movie um and there are people who want to interact with this very sincerely i think that's what makes scorsese and even in some cases woody allen very appealing to me is like their like religiosity their prolificity is like encapsulated by like their religious fervor with cinema (laughs) that's that's actually really fun that's that's such a an interesting thought does that make sense no it totally makes sense because it was like immediately what i thought when you said those names yeah it's like they have like a very like i mean like obviously like woody allen's jewish but like there's you know like temple still has a religiosity that yeah like yeah of course can be like you know even if, even like the, the least jewish of jews have like a, a jewish sensibility so yeah so there's you know there's really like i think like like once when you the power of cinema is religious like i had a conversation with my grandmother she was like do you still pray and i was like of course not i go to the movies like <laughs> that's like what i said to her and she Just was imagine she wasn't even yeah she wasn't even flabbergasted i think she understood it because there's a way in which you like your devotion like what what's important is your like devotion to something greater than you and movies do uh, that movies and, are absolutely and, like greater than right and i think that's like why we ought not to criticize the nature of b-directors but we ought to criticize them when they don't understand themselves that they're (laughs) yeah because like okay like um you know like maybe you don't agree like okay so my view of like b-directors is not that they're less or what they're doing is they're criticizing like the religiosity of cinema so like we go and like we watch you know I, i might watch like what we were talking about with um walk hard right it's like you watch these movies that are like clearly devout to their subjects when it comes to like rock stardom right and like the movies themselves can be fucking amazing 
but um, they're also like there there's like there's artifices which outside. need to be fucking yeah. made fun of so that we can like pursue better cinema right like um how do i put this so like a movie like requiem for a dream to me always was like um a critique on a movie like train spotting right where like oh uh, okay where like it's not like essentially a critique but like you know train spotting wants you to feel certain ways about um like heroin addiction yeah 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 um and like they are like it's the cinematization of it is like not um totally appealing or appetizing yeah i feel like uh, requiem for a dream is much more uh I guess in a way it's more like passive than train spotting because it's more of like a portrayal rather than like anything that's trying to influence you directly, if that makes sense. It's not as like its sentimentality is so fucking at the level of like you can't It's so talk intense about... that it feels unreal, I guess. Yeah, no, that's a great way of putting it. And um with like train spotting it's always trying to like it's trying to do things that like a normal movie wants you to do about it wraps you up in itself yeah it wraps you up in yourself and like what like wrecking for a dream does is makes you realize that like addiction is not a fucking cinematic device it's like a fucking torturous device right yeah i guess like wrecking for a dream addiction tortures the movie like that movie could be a normal movie it wasn't for this like torturous device of addiction and heroin like it's just like it destroys these people and it destroys the movie it destroys the logic of the movie it destroys the rhythms of the movie in a way that like something like train spotting where like the uh, like train spotting feels like an adventure yeah Regular it's like train spotting feels like tra- hell. yeah it feels like hell and train spotting feels like addiction is just like a fucking color for yeah. the director whereas like like what made but okay so like yeah a requiem for a dream it's like the addiction tortures the movie it destroys the movie but that's um it doesn't make it an a movie because like it's a critique it's like it, it's like exists at the margins of cinema and it's used to be like it's it, it it takes a characteristic of like mainstream cinema and it it, it m- makes it a metaphor but it makes it like a fucking wrecking ball throughout the entire movie hmm. and it destroys the movie and I, I i do see a lot of b movies um be like using devices and tropes as like a wrecking ball for the movie and it destroys them and that's what makes them unpalatable to some mainstream audiences but what makes them fucking interesting for someone who has like a more like um, open-minded view of uh, movies and movie culture, do you think that there's like uh, there are analogs to that sort of sentimentality in other art, like uh, like noise rock or like uh, <laughs> something like Sunno that's like not exactly and, like deconstructive and, or maybe not music? even self-aware? Yeah. Um, Music's so different, I think. Because the problem with music is that... um, Well, it's not a problem. It's just, like, the difference with music is... It's so easy to be, like, a dude in a... Like, in your bedroom making music, which is what I do. Yeah. (laughs) That, like... That, like... um, You don't require, like, this, like, collaborative effort to deconstruct something. It's just, like... Yeah. Like, so it's, it's... I don't like yeah in a way like I don't see why the me- like the mechanisms would be different but 
it's so much easier that like it's less noteworthy in a way um i think this is why like i like destructive cinema better but i like um like well it's easier to digest certainly well yeah i think i think with music it's so easy if you just want to sit there and like like you know if i listen to like a shoegaze kind of band yeah i'm sitting there being like this is fucking easy yeah whereas like if i watch like a movie like we're talking about raccoon for a dream where it's like um what they're trying to do is deconstruct lots of tropes um or at least like that's what's the effect is whether like yeah I'm, like, i guess I'm like convinced aronofsky knows what he's doing at this point but if like, you're listening moment, to an album that... you're like you're listening to the recognition that like maybe a song took like you know an hour in the studio I, obviously there's like you're not you're not discounting the amount of time it took to write the song to like um I, like compose the instrumentation but like you're also recognizing that an entire movie takes months to make where you know a and, song and takes like, yeah, not even anywhere it, close to that time not anywhere close to that like uh i get that that shouldn't matter in a way but like <laughs> of um, course it matters dude but i think it, like the 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 um ability to proliferate um like communication itself is like a matter of proliferation right like mm-hmm. you can you like no communication matters if you're saying it to nobody you say it to yourself it matters like in a primary way you say it to other people it matters in a secondary way you say it to like everyone it matters in a tertiary way but um the so that means that the ability to make it is sort of like built into its efficacy or it's like importance or its saliency totally um, yeah uh, I, I think that that's that's true yeah so it's like movies um are difficult to make like you know even if they're made all the time they're still difficult to make yeah and so which um, sucks because it's i think i want to make movies more than i want to do anything else creatively well yeah everyone wants to though because it's like a way of like introducing (laughs) it's it's, it's a way of it's a way of depicting all of like uh your intuitions right it's like yeah it's like visual it's moving it's like it's um behavioralistic it's uh it's It's visceral rhythm it's visceral it's it's melodic it's like all the it's like all the things you want from music all the things you want from visual art are the things you Uh, want from performance because it's not it doesn't yeah it makes you sad but the thing is it takes a lot of money to make it in a way where like people are going so Uh, um i i guess in my mind like um i've i've come to terms with the fact or piece of the fact that like i'm never gonna make movies because i don't know the people that it requires to but like that's okay oh god it just sucks to like hear you give up like that it just like it's not giving up i think like um you either like um you just have to you have to throw yourself in you just have to take the most absurd risks i guess so like like i went to uh like when i was in high school I presented a bunch, like I was one of two people who was accepted into this NYU program for a screenplay I wrote. Um, then I went to Columbia, and then the advice, the entire advice I was given the entire times I was like at these summer camps was like, you need to um, go to college and like learn shit. Mm-hmm. You need to learn things that are not just screenwriting because you're not going to know anything. You're not going to have any material, any sincere uh, material. Wow, that's that's really interesting. Yeah. So I went. I decided that I wasn't going to go to. Uh, get out of there, Kaiser! Kaiser's trying to eat my weed brownie. <sighs> Our producer is always oh, God, getting into sucks. shit. He's the beautifulest boy. But anyway, so um, 
I decided to like go to a liberal, get a, like a regular liberal arts education. Um, so I went to U Chicago, and there I just learned so much about everything that. Um, yeah, you have no shortage of material, certainly. I don't have shortage like at this point. It's like, <laughs> but you I have shortage just, of connections. <laughs> I short, yeah, and that's like something I realized was like, okay, like uh. I'm not gonna be like. I don't like I know people who went to like Harvard Yale who like also had the same advice but also they were from LA and so they had Hollywood connections I just don't have those yeah and um, you need the that's not to say that movies that all movies are bad right it's just that like there's a reason why there's only gems of movies it's like yeah. it takes this like insane it's just, I read sex crimes and I'm like well that needs to be a movie or like you know there's there's short movies that like treatments that I've written or that, I, that I'm writing that I just like I, I want to see them actualized and it's just it's so heartbreaking to I the the like I was saying earlier like the the inextricable link between commerce and film is so hard to reconcile it's like what makes it so difficult as an art form it, because it's it's probably when it, I not film is not easy to make but like if you remove the financial restraints i think if you have like directorial vision and knowledge i get i mean i guess it's true of anything but I, it's just so intuitive as an art form yeah i think um oh god do you, do you do you think that's maybe why people like write screenplay not screenplays um why people write plays like do you think play, a, a play is much easier to produce than a movie do you no, think that like that's people not what write plays in modernity because they can't like get they don't have like the the hollywood connections or do you think people write plays no. because they love writing plays no it's just like very different like mm -hmm. um so i've written both i'm way more proud of my screenplay but um i mean sex crimes is beautiful i i'm really proud of it i know it's like whatever it's not gonna ever get made i i, I don't know man like i i just don't want you to give up on that yet like I know, but like, I don't know, like, that's like, it's a connection thing. Like, um, okay, so let's say the way I think about these things myself is that you, it's, you can't assess them whether they're going to get made or not. You just have to assess them on the document itself. Yeah. Um, and sex crimes is sublime. So, but it's like, it's not a play. Like, that's, no. it's not like, it's specifically like, um, I wrote, I, I wrote a story. And I've like considered writing it into a book, but it was conceived as a story because it was supposed to be a, it was conceived as a screenplay because it was supposed to interact with cinematic traditions and plays theater is its own tradition. And that's because of things like the impot, like cinema can move in different locations at more rapid paces it has things like montages or mm -hmm. like it just has like different it's it feels it, like uh simultaneously fleshed out and completely unexplored y yeah it's like um because there certainly exist tr cinematic traditions and there certainly exist movies that, but like, they're not as strong as like you know traditions from like to those parameters but y exactly yeah they're right like, like when i was like studying, there are so many like, movies that are being made that just feel fucking groundbreaking like every year every year there's a movie that just like changes your notions of what plays will do that too of. but what the difference is that like plays of like you know it's like one of my favorite plays of all times is from sophocles 
And like that seems ridiculous. That probably seems like historical. Doesn't seem ridiculous because my favorite play of all time is Prometheus Bound. So right, yeah, it's <laughs> a, a, and... a play that was like written to be impossible at the time of its conception. Like that's so. I see what you're saying about like yeah, play, certainly it's like, like playwriting. Yeah, play, can be playwriting is its own. Like okay, if I were to sit down to write a play, like my uh, the like I like if I were to try to write sex crimes as a play which is like just so like you know, no one else is like no I one can't even n- imagine yeah so okay it's just so, so like, ambitious it's too ambitious make, to be a play make it to make it obvious for anyone who's listening because I know no one else has read this screenplay can we can we post it in the show notes like can we just like post a link to can you post yeah it I'll post it it's just no one's gonna watch it more people like, need to read sex yeah. crimes it's only like it's like 80 it's pages it's 75 pages my yeah. fucking god is it engrossing and beautiful and like well right the, the whole I, point of it is like Anyways, um, it's ahead. supposed to at, like uh, be kind like at a uh it's supposed to be sort of a journey into um child sex trafficking and so it's very important that all of its locations are made because the politics of sex trafficking are inextricably linked to its geopolitics right yeah yeah, yeah. um so like we go to sri lanka we go to detroit we're in dc like if there are all these things where it's like um, it's important the locationality of the um, of the narrative is not something that can be represented or like it ought not to be represented metaphorically it needs to be like in like lived in um, and so as a play like sex crimes wouldn't work as well because it'd be like okay like lots of plays need to exist in a certain scene for like 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 half an hour 45 minutes right um, and it's because it's like a play on it's like a dialect like a dialectic play um, but <laughs> like sex crimes is supposed to be this thing where like the people's dial like the people's belief belief like okay so like the main character her beliefs are lagging behind like the locationality differentiate like differentialities right like the, the the movie is moving faster than her belief system is and that's the drama um it comes from like she gets damaged and uh she's not able to reconcile her damage but she's moving and like she's like enacting events ahead of like her understanding of her own personal trauma um and and like i don't know how you totally render that in a play at the same level where like you know you can do it in a movie where like locations are rapidly changing even if like the beliefs of the characters are not like there's just like a calculus there's a like literally like a like differential and like the movement of change between the locations and the characters beliefs and that to me is something that's like that can be like the most purely represented in cinema right or like it has yeah 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 yeah. so that's what I was doing in that movie. Like at, at one level, that's what's happening. That's why I thought it had to be a movie. There's other things too, where it's like um, the sh- like I know like in the beginning scenes of that movie, there's you know a, a scene where like a child, like a like an infant, gets shot, but you don't really see it. And I don't know how you do that in a play or a book necessarily, but like the uns like 
you know, there's like there's some. You like, can't like was, do anything off screen in a book. <laughs> you can't do anything off screen in a book, and in a play, it's always going to come out weird because like there's like the off screenness of a play. <laughs> what is do you like do? Like stage. shoot a baby behind a curtain? Yeah, like yeah, it's not the same. Like where it's like where um. So what happens in this is like in the forefront of the frame, a a a Obfusc- father is ob- holding. Obfuscation it. is like much more difficult in a on a stage than it is in a movie absolutely so like in this like in this particular scene which is very like uh represent like it's symbolic of like the like the entire themes of the movie like um in the very beginning of the film a father a police officer is like holding a baby in the middle of this like domestic argument and then an intruder shows up and shoots the like tries to shoot the father but actually just shoots the baby instead but they from the impact of the shot they both fall but like the way that it like has to be shot for it to work which is like described in the screenplay is that the father is holding the baby in the forefront and the intruder like shows up as like you know shows up unexpectedly in the background and that in the forefront like it's important that like they both fall out of the frame from the forefront because it's a way of like you know like describing like all the actions coming at you right like where you like the directionality of like like out of frameness in a movie there's just more directionality than there is in a play because you have the left or the right that's all you have but in a movie it's like anywhere like your your camera placement can happen at 360 degree angles and so like where you decide to place the camera will also like be symbolic of like what you think the action is and if you watch any action film like the best action films will always like put the camera in a place where like if action is like happening off frame it's in a particular direction from the camera and that is symbolic of something that's thematic of something um so i don't know how you make it a play like there's so many like there's so many like conceptual shots that have to happen in certain ways for them to like you know like add on and complement yeah. the thematic point and that's what makes screenwriting difficult um if you're trying to do something like really artistic if you're really trying to like utilize all of the dimensions of cinema cinema is always like i don't know another activity or another art that is so dimensionally intense and that you have to think about all of the dimensions um that you can employ because every action you make is like going to be critiqued on its dimensionality. Like if you are lazy and you want things to happen and I'll play full way, you know, like where it's like in a theatrical way where it's like, if they're going to like, you know, deposit actions on the left or right, if you're like thinking about off stageness, like, you know, people are going to critique you for not like really exploring the dimensionality of cinema. Yeah. And for good reasons, because it's like a fucking intense medium. That's why a lot of movies are bad because they don't really like consider the entire dimensionality. And that's just like spatially, like, let's think about like, you know, like time, you know, or like cutting or like that's, this is why like cinema, like ought to like obsess, like all critical minds is because it's a, uh, it's a, imperfect but the most perfect representation of experience that we have um and the people that are supposed to be directors yeah i I think everybody understands that like intuitively even if they can't articulate it it's just right and it 
whatever. We could go on for this forever, but I think yeah. at this point we might need to close it. Yeah, this is probably uh, <laughs> TLDR. Two hours. Movies yeah. <laughs> are the greatest thing that's ever happened. And uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess, I guess that'll do it for now. Um, thanks for listening. As always, this was uh, Codex West at night with Jacob at Lively night, and Johnny Paglino. At night. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> This was fun. I think we should do this more often. I, I yeah, think? I really enjoyed this. This was a really good time. Um, we'll have to see how it edits. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be interesting. We our uh, neighbors got into like a shit fight about halfway through, so we'll, we'll see if any of that turns up in the recording. My dog but, can't stop looking at me, saying he's like he. I need to poop, but he I good just, boy. well, he, he good boy. You know. Oh no, he good boy, but you know. When you boy. when you say dog, you mean producer. He's a Johnny can be a little crass at times as well. I'm a crass ass, but <laughs> so yeah, that'll that'll do it for now. Um, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, we'll, we'll probably be doing a little more Codex West at night, um, and and also keep an eye out for uh, Cooking with Codex, which should be released tomorrow or Friday. Um, again, thank you for listening, and uh, I think that that's all for now. Cause man, am I drunk? Uh, yeah, we're all drunk. <laughs> <laughs> night, everybody. Later.